I'm Josh McDonald. And I'm Miranda Matiri, and we are Hand Therapy Academy. We're going to talk a little bit about PIP joint stiffness because, man, is that a stubborn thing to try to treat. And so we're going to talk about how maybe we address it and some hacks that maybe we've come across. Certainly just trying to share the information and maybe you'll pick something up off of this that maybe helps you with the patient you've got. All right. So the dreaded PIP joint, right? These can be stubborn. They can be tough. Um, and I think you and I have both learned a lot of tips from our patients as well as other practitioners that um, we're always happy to share. So what is, say you have a stiff PIP joint, um, and I think it's usually a little harder to get extension. So let's go after that first. What are you doing to get extension back? One of my, it's not a fancy tip. It's not a trick. It's not some hack or something. It is the consistency of doing home program stuff. I like joint blocking. I'll tell patients joint blocking, and I'll obviously show them it's either joint blocking for flexion or reverse joint blocking for extension where they're blocking that MCP inflection and actively extending it um, and holding it for three seconds and then relaxing and holding for three seconds and relaxing. I'll say that needs to be your new nervous tick. That needs to be something that every stoplight you're doing a couple of times, every time you're lying at the grocery store, when you're watching TV, every commercial break, like there needs to be no more than 30 minutes removed from you, do, you doing a couple of reps of that to try to get that joint rocked free if it's a capsular tightness or maybe some central slip activation or just getting them consistent and following through with that and not like, yeah, I think I did that once yesterday, but yeah. this needs to be you doing all the time. And I think you saying, um, just to reiterate, that they're MCP flexed and extending their PIP, that is hard to show people. Like, do you have any tips? Like I show them in the clinic um, and sometimes if they don't get it, I'm showing them with like a popsicle stick or or a relative motion splint. Like what, what do you show them so they like grasp the concept of keeping their MCP flexed? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll show them with my hand and then I'll do hand over hand on them and then I'll put their hand on them and show them what that looks like. And some patients do better with it up in space. Some patients do better with their pinky on the table and rest it on their lap or the armrest of the car or whatever. Um, sometimes I'll even have them take a video of it or I'll pull a, you know, the, the front desk lady over and say, we're going to use your phone. You're going to take a video of this so you can remember how to do it at home and just try to get as many versions of that in as possible. We'll talk about relative motion. That's another super successful way to work on PIP stiffness. But yeah, lots and lots of repetition in the clinic. Because oftentimes they'll just try to extend at the um, MCP, right? So when they're extending yeah. at the MCP, it doesn't isolate the central slip as much. And I feel, you know, it doesn't work quite as well. Yeah, yeah. So the reverse joint blocking is a little tricky. Um, but I, if, if they get it, it's something that can be very effective moving forwards. Okay. Yeah. How about you? What's your kind of go-to? Um, usually for any PAP joint stiffness, because of the frequency that they have to do it at, right? Like you're telling them you need to do this all the time. My go-to is usually always the RMO because if they're bending their hand and they have that splint in the relative position, then they're going to be successful, right? So if we're working on extension, say it's extension of the long finger, then that long finger needs to be held in relative flexion compared to the other joints. And then they're doing essentially reverse block, reverse joint blocking when they're opening and closing their hands throughout the day. So I really like that. I think sometimes getting patients to buy in and getting a comfortable one is, is key, right? So you have to really explain why this works and then making sure that you're making a good RMO because if it's not a good RMO, they're going to hate wearing it. Yeah. No one's going to wear an uncomfortable splint, especially in those web spaces that can get really like uncomfortable pinching, rubbing. So yeah, it's got to be a comfortable version of the, of an RMO. Yeah. Yeah. And then talking about with flexion, I like it too, you know, so then you just put that 
joint in relative um, extension compared to the other joints to work on more flexion of the PIP joint. Yeah, yeah. If I've got a patient who's establishing a little bit of a flexion contracture of that PIP, I will sometimes, the right patients, uh, I'll use an LMB for them. Um, and I'll send them home with it, give them instructions three times a day for 30 minutes as our target. Um, if, they, if they're busy at work, I'll say, wear it on your way to work, wear it on your way home from work, and then maybe at lunchtime or something, throw it in your lunchbox if you need to. But I feel like that can help to provide that dynamic extension load to volar plate, um, some of that joint capsule structures, just to get them loosened up a little bit in those structures that are just hard to hit, but that can be an intense thing. And so not everyone's quite ready for that if they're still very painful. Yeah. And so why don't, so if people don't know what an LMB is, why don't, can you explain that to them? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, we typically buy ours. You can make them, um, but it, it's a whole process to make them and they're not super expensive to just buy a, a pack of the small, medium, largest. It's usually two foam pads that on, excuse me, three, three foam pads. It's never two. It's three foam pads that go on uh, volar surfaces of the finger and then a central one that goes on the dorsal and just proximal to that apex of the PIP joint and spring-loaded. So I got a wire on either side that spring-loads and pulls that finger into extension. I can flex it to loosen the tension or flex it to increase the tension depending on how much I want for that patient. Um, and they slide it on and it provides a dynamic extension load to that PIP joint. Yeah, so that is the L and B. Uh, what about joint jacks? Are you using joint jacks at all? I'm not. Uh, it's been a long time since I had a doctor ask for them. I've got like two or three in case someone does ask for them. But uh, if you don't know what that is, it's this, it's kind of a metal stay that goes on the uh, volar side of the finger. And then there's a strap that goes over PIP and you've got a thumb screw that you twist and it just looks medieval. Um, enough of the stuff we give patients is a little intense and they talk about the torture devices we give them. This one literally looks like a torture device. So I feel like it's a little bit more intense than most of my patients are up for. Um, I don't know. Do you use them? Uh, I don't, I would sometimes I'll get an order for them. So I'll give it to the patient, but my favorite probably for a PIP flexion contracture beyond a relative motion splint is serial casting. Um, so I love serial casting to get them an extension. I feel like you can do it gentle. You can do it over time. And there's something about the plaster that really decreases their edema. So I would much rather use a, remo a removable serial cast than um, a, a joint jack. Okay. Do you feel that when you do serial casting, you lose any... That's okay. If you, if you do serial casting, do you feel like you lose any flexion while they're casted into extension? Well, so that's the thing. If I am worried about that, I'll make the cast removable. So I'll put like a couple, I'll have them dip in paraffin before I put the cast on so they can slide it on and off and do flexion exercises. Um, but if I'm not worried about that, like if it's a younger person, I'll just go directly to a serial cast and change it out once a week. Do you worry about that? I won't use serial casting on a patient if their PIP is stuck in a position. Uh, because I want to work on both directions at the same time. But I feel like if I can work, if, if it's, they've got some flexion, but just can't extend all the way, like a, maybe it's a central slip that's become a flexion contracture, um, that kind of thing, then I'll use it. But I'm hesitant when I'm worried that, you know, we're working on both directions. And if I lock you into one, am I going to lose the other? I can work on it on the recasting sessions, but then we're not necessarily getting a lot of that movement in between the sessions. Yeah. And I think it just depends on how far out they are, right? Like if, if they're really far out of that contracture, then you're going to 
oftentimes have to get your extension anyways before you work on flexion. So I don't, it depends on the patient. I've had a patient, a young girl, she was probably like 13 that had a zone two flexor tendon injury and she was so afraid to move. She didn't move it the whole, and we saw her late. So we were getting her like 14 weeks out and we started serial casting with her. And within, you know, I would say a month, we had almost gotten her to full extension. Granted, she was like a young kid. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of these things we're talking about are devices, equipment, things to provide, but a lot of it is about them doing stuff both in the clinic and at home and saying like, here's the stuff that you need to move and stiffness gets better with movement. So whether it's done with a relative motion orthosis on or home program training, sometimes I'll make like an exercise splint that's a little like a, like sugar tong style DIP immobilizer and say, I want you to squeeze on things and pull into things. So I'm really blocking that DIP joint. So, so much more of that load of FDP and FDS is directed at the PIP. I'll do the same thing opposite of working on DIP. I'll make an, a PIP mobilizer, but trying to get that load, get the patient moving as much as we can um, because movement begets more movement and, and kind of works past that stiffness. Yeah. I think that's a good point. If the patients aren't doing what you're asking them to do, there's no point in throwing more at them, right? Like you really need to see, are they being consistent with what I gave them last session? before we try something more aggressive, because if they're not doing it, then you need to go back and revisit why they're not doing it. Like, why are you having difficulties with this? And what can we do to help, you know, make this more achievable? And sometimes it's not that it's not important to them. They either don't understand or they just haven't grasped like this needs to be pervasive in your world in order to get past the problem. And not just, I did it a couple of times. Like if this is a big deal, we need to keep consistent with it. And so helping them find success. Right, yeah, definitely. All right. I think that covers all things PIP joint stiffness. If you have any questions, you can email us info at hamtherapyacademy.com or you can find us at hamtherapyacademy on Instagram.